The scripture for today's sermon comes from Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. The word of God speaks to us. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So we gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. This is God's word to us. Thank you, Emily. Good morning, y'all. It's good to be with you. Uh, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're going to keep on going through the book of Mark. We're uh, coming up on chapter five today. And so I think that means we're about a quarter of the way done. We're going to take it all the way to Easter 2022. And so I, I hope you guys are getting as much out of it as I am. I'm going to pray for y'all. You pray for me um, as we always do. Then we'll, we'll dive in. So let's pray with one another. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the truth and the beauty and the revelation in it about who you are, what it means for us. I, I pray for my friends that uh, everything that they're carrying in today, that you would meet them in. We know that you're here and that you're speaking, and I pray for each and every one of us that we would be able to listen, really listen to what you're saying, and help me serve them and love them, help me really, in a, in a real way, get out of the way so I can point to you. We pray, Jesus, all this in your name. God's people said, amen. amen. Uh, a few of my favorite people in the world are in here, and he, I'm going to embarrass him. I'm sorry, but one of them is my oldest boy, Anderson. Um, and uh, I'm looking at him because when I was his age, about that same exact age, nine years old, I, I had a really important, pressing, serious question. And the question was, who's the most dangerous man in the world? Like, it was the 80s, and so the way I would probably word it is like, who's the baddest man in the world? Because in the 80s, bad meant good, right? Um, who, is, who, is, who is not to be trifled with? Who had the most power? Who is the most formidable? 
Um, I had a big vocabulary, I guess, when I was nine. I just, it was, I, who, who was the guy that you didn't want to mess with? And I thought long and hard about it. It was really important to me. And um, I came up with a, a really good answer. The answer was Carlos Ray Norris. Chuck Norris. <laughs> and I, I was really, I mean, my mom is here. You can fact check me. I was deeply um, committed to Chuck Norris as a young man. Like I had Chuck Norris action figures, uh, Chuck Norris comic books. I had a guinea pig, and guess what his name was? Chuck Norris. Yeah, he had, he had an orange mustache, and it was like, God, it was just meant to be. Um, I loved him. I loved him. I, one of my favorite things I remember wanting that was affiliated with Chuck Norris, were, they were called Chuck Norris action jeans. I read back, Black Belt Magazine, and <laughs> There was a dilemma Chuck Norris had, which was he could roundhouse kick somebody in the face, but his jeans were too tight. And so Chuck Norris invented jeggings, y'all. Like he, he, the stretchy jean began with him. Um, so I still like him, man. From Oklahoma, he loves the Lord. Um, but it just as I got older, I probably came to realize, despite all of the jokes, you know, I was on the Chuck Norris bus early, and then the Chuck Norris jokes came later, like Chuck Norris doesn't go hunting, he goes killing, because hunting implies failure, like all those are great, right? But uh, as, I, as I matured, I got a little older, I realized like the most dangerous man in the history of the world probably isn't Chuck Norris, as great of an actor as he is, and as a, as a real martial artist is. Uh, but I do, I think this is the point. It's still a good question, and it's an important question. It's not just a question for the heart of a, a nine-year-old little boy who likes martial arts, Right? It's actually a theological question that's important for every adult and child in the room. Like, who is the most dangerous man in the history of the world? Who has real power? Who truly should not be messed with? What do they do with that power? How do they wield it? The story that we're looking at this morning is a story of Jesus encountering a man possessed by forces of evil that are so vast it's hard to really wrap our minds around it. He comes face to face with the, the terror of hell on earth. And in this encounter, we get an answer to that question. And as a word as we begin, I think it's, it's, it's helpful that as we look at a story like this that really highlights the powers of darkness, the devil and demons, that there's two ditches that we can find ourselves in. And that I think the church historically, in different moments and, and, and maybe different denominations, etc., we can find ourselves in. And the first ditch is, is one that you look at powers of darkness, you look at the devil, you look at demons, and you say, look, as, as one scholar put it, the devil's just a trivial personification that is hardly adequate to symbolize the mystery of evil. What on earth is he saying? He's saying the devil's just symbolic. He's just pretend. He just represents evil. It's not a real being with real power, but just kind of a caricature that represents evil. Now, the other ditch is to, to really, in, in a way, look at the devil and the demonic and have an unhealthy, kind of overly active, inordinate obsession and interest in them. Jesus warns about this, actually, in Luke chapter 17. He sends out a bunch of disciples as, minister, uh, as, as missionaries to, to share the gospel and to minister to people in need, and they come back, and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus says in verse 20, hey, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Isn't that interesting that he, 
He made it a point to kind of correct them. Essentially saying, hey, look, don't make the focal point of your spirituality spiritual warfare, but make the very focal point of your spirituality the fact that you've received a gift that you have not earned. You've got grace given to you by God and that you're saved. Your name's written in heaven. You've been chosen and claimed. Spirit, uh, C.S. Lewis, he, he sums this up in, in three seconds, what I just spent three minutes trying to explain. C.S. Lewis can, can do that. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. So what we, we see in this story is it's an invitation to look at the power and the purposes and the danger of darkness and to look at how that darkness holds up in the power and the presence of Christ Jesus. So as we begin, I want to kind of help us get our bearings as to what's actually happening in the, the life of Jesus in this moment. Look again at, at verse 1, Mark 1, chapter 5, verse 1. Mark writes, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerardines. So if, if you've been reading Mark along with us the last couple weeks, we've seen some amazing things. Mark 4, Jesus is preaching to what many theologians believe is the biggest crowd he has ever preached to in, in the history of his ministry. This is the largest crowd that will ever gather to hear him teach. And he, he's teaching them in parables, and, and it's such a big crowd, Jesus has to innovate, and he turns a fishing boat into a pulpit. So they, they take this boat, and they uh, get into a cove that's this beautiful, natural amphitheater, and Jesus proclaims preaching and parables from this boat to thousands that are just surrounding him on this beach. And after he teaches, he and his disciples begin to sail in the Sea of Galilee. And what happens is that in the night, there is a ferocious, violent storm that comes. His, Jesus is asleep in the, the, the seat of the ship. His disciples think they're going to die. They wake him up, ask him an ironic question. Don't you care that we're perishing? Nobody has ever cared more about anybody perishing than Jesus. And he with a word calms the storm. And their response to that, as JJ taught us really well last week, was, was fear. Who is this man who can, with a very word, still a storm? And so what we have here is it's the next morning and the ship is arriving on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And the other side has connotations. It means that they're out now of Israel and they're in Gentile territory. And perhaps they're thinking, we're finally going to get some rest. <laughs> Man, we've just had this epic gathering of people when Jesus taught. We just experienced a, uh, you know, our, our lives being on the verge of being lost. We were terrified. We just experienced Jesus moving power, and we're kind of freaked out. Like, who are we following? We don't really understand who this man is quite yet. And, and they reach the shore, and perhaps they're thinking, we're going to have some time to chill out. This is going to be Cancun. We're going to get on the beach, hang out, you know. But it, it turns out that this is less Cancun and more like World War II Normandy. Because right upon arrival, there's a conflict, there's a, fly, there's a fight, there's a, a war that's waged on this beach in a, a real way. They just experienced a violent thunderstorm, and they walk into a new kind of storm that's a storm of darkness that's resided in this man, a storm of demonic powers and violence. 
The story can be found in, in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew. But interestingly, Mark, and as we've been studying this book, you've maybe realized, and we've pointed out, this is like an action-packed book and things go fast. But it, it feels like in this story that Mark downshifts and he slows down. And he, more than any other gospel, he paints this story in color. He tells us more detail. He, he wants us to pay attention. And so let's pay attention together as to what is happening in the ministry and the life of Jesus, what that means. So we're going to take this story in four points. The first point is the power of darkness. Verse 2, let's read it together. And when Jesus stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with an unclean spirit. And this man, he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Let's stop there. What is an unclean spirit? What has taken possession of this man? This man is demonized. Right? Ray Ortland gives us some insight. The pa- one of my favorite pastors uh, lives in Nashville. He writes, a demonic spirit is unclean, impure, like the ritually unclean animals of the Old Testament, meaning it is unacceptable to God, excluded, a perpetual outsider, not, longing, not belonging to the one whose very presence defines belongingness at homeness, comfort. It's a spiritual rebe- being that's in rebellion against God, hates God, and as a result, sees men and women made in the image of God and hates us, and as Jesus gives us insight, wants to steal and kill and destroy men and women because we reflect the image of God. Satan and powers of darkness see people like mirrors that reflect the beauty and the wonder of God, since we're made in his image and in, in, in their hate and rebellion against God, they want to smash those mirrors, destroy and distort that image. And there's no more powerful picture of the reality of that than this story in the Gospels. And of course, all the work of, of Satan and demons isn't as overt as this. Like 2 Corinthians 11, actually, Paul talks about the fact that actually most of the time Satan likes to, to operate in a covert way where He goes about being hidden with his schemes and his influence. But here we have this unadulterated, unhindered view of the danger of darkness at work in a life. And we don't know what has happened in this man's life to lead him here, but we know that where he has found himself in this moment is sad and scary. He is under the extreme control of powers of darkness. He's a terror to himself. He's a terror to others. These local townspeople have attempted to restrain him, but with supernatural strength, he's, he's broken chains and shackles that were meant to, to hinder him and keep him under control. And he's crying out night and day in torment. And even though he's alive, we need to see that he's, he's living among the dead. He's made his place with death. He's living in tombs that are burial grounds. And the the word that Mark uses that he he can't be tamed, all other places in scripture that word is used in reference to wild animals, right? And so we get the sense that this man has, 
in, in such oppression by powers of darkness that he's lost his humanity. He's more monster and beast than man. And we can just imagine in lucid moments when perhaps his senses returned to him or he was able to have clarity that he was overwhelmed with how low he has come, his reality that he's unwelcomed and unwanted and unloved by what used to be his community. And when I'm reading this these last few weeks, I'm thankful for this story because what it does is it just kind of pulls back the curtain because I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes evil doesn't seem too evil and darkness doesn't seem so dark. And there's things that I know that that can be a part of my life that I can think are domesticated or under control or aren't that bad. And down the road, they, they lead to places like this whether it's gossip or greed or lust or addiction or pride or envy, things that I feel aren't that big of a deal, we forget how evil and destructive evil is and how dangerous the powers of darkness can be. And as a result, what what this story reminds us of is the fact that when we go about trying to use external means or behavior modification to take care of darkness in our life, it's never going to work. And how often do we do that? We overspend because we think we need to get more stuff to fulfill a longing in our heart and we worship at the altar of, of the God of consumerism or money and then we say, well, we, we want to put some chains and shackles on that darkness and so we cut up a credit card and we, we get a budget and yet what we need is, those, those things are bad, but Without an encounter with the living God, there's no hope. Or if you're feeling just absolutely wrecked by an addiction and, and pornography has just seized your life, and you think just putting like an app on your phone is going to do it, that's just, that's just chains and shackles that that darkness can break. You need an encounter with a greater power of the living God. I think about this like raising my kids, right? Like rules are good. We have a thing called responsibility road, right? It's like you, you got to take that magnet and you get to certain steps. You have things that you need to do today. There's rules that you need to follow in this house, but it's really easy to, to lead a child with just rules and restrictions and regulations and not realize, hey, I want you to have a, an encounter with the living God who loves you. I want your heart to be impacted by the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. You need to encounter the power of Jesus. So this is the reality of the dangerous power of darkness. We see it on full display in this man's life, but the story is just getting started. We need to see what happens when Jesus shows up on the scene. That's point number two, the power of Jesus. Reading verse six, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and He fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he, Jesus, was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. 
Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and he begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Jesus and his disciples, they, they beached the boat, and the next thing they know, Luke tells us, this, tells us that this man is, is naked. And so just imagine, you're tired, you've had a long day of ministry and a long night of thinking you were going to die on a boat, and you step on a beach, and then there's a naked man running at you, screaming. And then right when he gets to Jesus, you think he's going to fall upon him in violence, and yet at the last minute, he falls at his feet, and he begins to beg Swear to God, you're not going to hurt me. See, when demons come up against divinity, there's not much of a fight. It's pretty anticlimactic. And, and what sh- strikes me about this story, and, and really up through Mark to this point, is that people are still trying to work out who Jesus is. And yet, powers of darkness are really clear about who Jesus is. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And I love the flex here. It's like these demons know Jesus' name, and he's like, what's your name? I don't know. I don't know you. (laughs) And he demands it. What's your name? And they replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And what a a scary admission. A legion was 5,600 foot soldiers, 120 Roman soldiers on horseback, and, and several more soldiers that were just there to strategically organize the operations of that force. To the Jewish mind, legion would bring the impression and strike them as a force of great power, great numbers, great organization that occupied and subdued. And so an immense force of evil is leering at Jesus in hate and rebellion from behind the eyes of this man. And we see Jesus move in power in an unforgettable way. And as intense as this story is, it's beautifully anticlimactic in some ways when it comes to what Jesus does. It's just not much of a contest. And this is where the begging begins. It's interesting that begging is a a theme of this story. Verse 10, and he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Verse 12, and he begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter. And so Jesus gave them permission Jesus is just not even breaking a sweat, and he's decimating powers of darkness with just his word. This this story is such an awesome testimony of the power of Jesus. This unchainable, unstoppable horde of demons falls and is freaking out and is fleeing from the very presence of Jesus. I did some research this week and I found out that the, uh, the fastest knockout in the history of combat sports on record happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota, November 4th, 1947. It was a Golden Gloves tournament and a guy named Mike Collins knocked out a guy named Pat Brownson in four seconds. And just imagine being like Pat's friend. You show up to watch him fight and it's like bell rings, one, two, the fight's over, you know? And it took the ref at least a second to realize the guy was knocked out, you know? Imagine if you, like, put down 65 bucks to watch that on pay-per-view. You'd be like, it!" you know? Like, what a waste of money. That's the type of fight this is. It's not, a, it's not a fight at all. It's just over. It's just over. 
There's no match for the power of Jesus. Even this most formidable, seemingly most dangerous man on the planet because of the, the vast powers of darkness that are oppressing him in, in the presence of Jesus. They're just wilting. This quick victory, it, it means some beautiful things for us. That Jesus has complete and total power over darkness. We've already seen that in Mark, right? Jesus goes toe-to-toe with Satan in the wilderness. He's tempted and he overcomes. I love what Jesus says in Matthew, or Mark chapter 3, verses 27. We looked at this several weeks ago. Uh, his intentions towards the devil and the powers of darkness, Jesus says, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds up the strong man. Indeed, he may plunder his house. Jesus is saying, look, I came to tie up the devil and rob him of everything. I'm going to take it. It's mine. But importantly, what we see in this story, which is such good news, is what we see Jesus doing here is actually just a, a taste, a wink, a foreshadow of what he's going to do on the cross. See, Jesus wasn't defeated on the cross. It wasn't like Jesus lost on the cross and then he was like bailed out by the resurrection and, and saved. That's bad theology. Listen to, to what Paul says happened on the cross. This is Colossians chapter two, starting in verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses, speaking to the church, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then listen to what Paul says. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Pastor Steve reminded me of a, a verse in 1 Corinthians 2 that essentially says, hey, none of the powers of darkness would have ever like, been about Jesus dying if they really knew what was happening in that moment. Like the cross, it's like a moment where death and, and darkness took a hold of Jesus and they thought they had a grip of him and all of, them, all of, them, all of a sudden they realized, oh crap, he has a hold of us. <laughs> they thought that they were dragging Jesus down into the grave and he was like, no, 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 I'm dragging you down into the grave. You think you're winning. You think you're conquering. No, no, no. I am conquering you. I'm giving my life. I'm paying a price. And you're the one who is being defeated. I'm not being defeated. I'm conquering. You didn't know what was going on. Now you get it. And the resurrection is the validation of that. The resurrection is the receipt, the proof, the judge's decision that says Jesus won. And it was a complete victory. Evil is scary and dangerous. But Jesus is scarier and more dangerous. That's what this story holds up, the truth, that the power of Christ is so formidable. No other power ever stands a chance. I think one of the beautiful things this means for us is something Jesus said himself. Hey, what's impossible for man is not impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. And I think we should just let that sink into our hearts. Just imagine this man who has this encounter with Jesus. There is nobody on the face of the earth that, that is worse off than him in this moment. 
Like, I don't think there's anybody in a lower place. There's nobody that seems like more of a lost cause on the face of the earth than this man. Like, if you are possessed by a legion of demons, it is not going well for you. If you are living in a graveyard and self-harming and a terror to yourself and others, what hope is there for you? And yet, Jesus walks right up to him and totally transforms him, delivers him, restores him, as we're going to see. And so, you very may, very way, very may well have walked in here today. And I, I'm even thinking of like conversations I had with my wife the last couple of weeks and saying like, man, I don't, do people change? Can someone really change? Do we have hope to, to actually just grow and mature and, and be freed from chains that bind us? And what we see in this story is a story of hope and truth that no matter what sin has tangled us or no matter what darkness is oppressing us, no matter how far we've fallen or, or, or how rough our circumstances look, that no one is beyond help and hope. And that the power of Jesus can, can change and transform. And you, you're talking to yourself right now, many of you, and saying, you don't know my situation, you don't really understand, and I don't. I don't. But this is, I, I know Jesus. And so it doesn't, it doesn't matter what you're facing. That, that there's no power like the power of Christ Jesus, and there is no life that he can't save, no sin that he can't forgive, no power of darkness that he can't decimate. Maybe that's something that you need to hold on to and, and take to the Lord in prayer for, for a burden you're carrying for somebody, a spouse that's running away from your marriage or a child that is running away from the Lord or a friend that is in a dark place. Look at the truth of the story. There's no depth that Christ cannot reach to bring us up to new life. So let's look quickly at how people respond to the power of Jesus. The third thing we need to see, Jesus is rejected in fear. Look at verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. I was thinking a lot this week about being the herdsman in the story. <laughs> it's like, what do you do, right? You had, you had one job, and it's to watch pigs. <laughs> and then like in an instant... All the pigs are dead. And I'm sure if you're watching 2,000 pigs, you're like accounting for a little bit of like attrition. There's going to be some losses here and there, you know? But all of them, like in a, so you, you run back to your boss and you're like, hey, the pigs are dead. Your boss is like, how many? All of them, you know? Well, what happened? Some Jews came <laughs> and then the naked guy ran and you just... 
you're just going to have to come and see, you know? And so the story begins to spread and what the heck happened. And, and so these people show up and the man who was untamable is now clothed and calm and in communion with Jesus. It's a picture of, of salvation and discipleship. He's a restored man and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, sharing his heart, receiving truth. So awesome. Let's not gloss over the power of Jesus to restore And these people see the reality of what Jesus has done. This man has been rescued from the power of hell. And then, you know, if if the story stopped there, we would probably fill in the blanks and be like, and then there was revival, you know? Then it was like the New Testament version of Nineveh and everybody repented and like they built the church and, you know? And that's not what happens. It's the opposite of that. They're confronted with the power of the holy and they're afraid Ironically, they're more afraid of Jesus than a demonized, naked man living in a graveyard. They don't rejoice at the presence of Jesus. They, they resent it. And when the Son of God, God himself, shows up in the flesh, they, they beg him to leave. And this story is, in many ways, a scary story, yet this is the scariest part of the story. They have fear, which is not a bad response to the recognition of that kind of power, right? They've seen an undeniable miracle. They've seen the power of God on display. And yet, as they're thinking about that, there are other things they're thinking about. See, the presence of, of Christ has cost them something. And I think it's safe to reason that they're begging Jesus to leave has a lot to do with what's happened in his presence. See, Jesus didn't care about 2,000 pigs dying for one man to be saved. But this town, they preferred selling swine over freeing souls. There's been an economic cost to the local economy, right? There's things to be upset about, things that they didn't sign up for. And so they, I don't know if they looked him in the eye. They probably didn't. I imagine they looked at the ground and said, hey, um, we really, really, really would like you to get back in your boat and go away forever. And I think the most important thing that happened in my life as I processed this story over this last week was doing the hard work of examining my life and seeing how I can relate to them in this moment. Because I think each and every one of us in our own way, maybe deep down, just like they did, can beg Jesus to leave. Say, I don't want you here anymore. You're not welcome here because I'm comfortable and I'm happy with the current arrangement. With the presence of evil, I've made peace with it. And maybe you coming to disrupt that, disrupt that is going to cost me some things that I'm not willing to pay. This is the question I ask myself and I'm going to ask all of us to ask ourselves. Is there a place in my life where the power and grace of Jesus is unwelcomed? Where in my life is Jesus an interruption to my illusion of happiness? That's the heartbreak of this story. And it's, 
it's a heartbreak in our story when we live that way. In the way that I'm living with my spouse is, is Jesus arriving and trying to bring power and deliverance and light. And I'm saying, no, I like this arrangement. You're unwelcomed here. The way I'm going about my business and my dealings. And Jesus is convicting me about that. And I see that it might cost me some money in the bank. And I'm saying, you're unwelcomed here, Jesus. Please leave. I'm, I'm begging you. There's a thousand different ways for this to apply to our life, but I'm certain that in, in each of our life, it probably applies in some way. And I think what the, would invite, the Spirit would invite us to do is just to, to hold up our hearts before the Father and say, hey, if there's any area where I'm saying, Jesus, leave, you're unwelcomed here, because there's a cost and a price to be paid, something that, is, that I am holding on to is precious, but Jesus is saying, hey, you don't need that, you need me, that we'd be willing to do the 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 reasonable yet the brave thing of saying, yeah, let's, let's kill that so that, you, that we can live. Let's drown that idol out so that, that we can experience the true presence of God in our life. So that's the scary response to the power of Jesus we see in the town. But let's look at a glorious response as we wrap it up. For Jesus is received in faith. This is so awesome. Look at verse 18. And as he, Jesus, is getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons, some more begging going on, begged him that he might be with him. It's totally opposite. The town's saying, please leave. And this man is saying, please don't leave. Please take me with you. Verse 19, and he, Jesus, did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how, he's, how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So this man, in gratitude and love, he asks to go with Jesus. And, and, and surprisingly, again, Jesus says, no, you can't, you can't come with me. Because I, I have something better for you than to come and be my disciple. I'm actually going to, to send you to go be a missionary. And it should strike us here that, that Jesus' own disciples that are with him, he doesn't quite trust them yet to, to preach the good news. They don't quite get it, but this Moments ago, demonized man who now is this ex-demoniac, he gets to proclaim the good news to the Decapolis. That means 10 cities, that this was a region with, with 10 different communities all gathered together. And he goes to each and every one and he's saying, hey, you remember me? You probably saw me naked running around. You know, you, you draw your children close. Yeah, I was that guy. Let me tell you what happened in my life. The Jewish carpenter showed up one day. And what had oppressed me for years was terrified in his presence. And he freed me, and he has the power over life and death. And he changed my life forever. Come hear about him. And it should strike us the beauty that the first missionary preacher sent out by Jesus, as we prayed for missionaries today, as Stacy led us, you could say in a real way, missions began in this moment. The most lost cause, the lowest low, the scariest dude on earth encounters Jesus and then he's transformed and he has the honor of being a Gentile, bringing the good news to the Gentiles. 
This town is begging Jesus to leave, and Jesus is like, hey, even though you're rejecting me, I'm not rejecting you. Even though that you're giving up on me, I'm not giving up on you. I'm going to send this man to share his story, and I'm going to be proclaimed all through this region. The gospel is going to go out. The truth that I can deliver, restore, and free. This is a story of grace. And I love how the story ends. And what happens is what people hear and everyone marveled. It's a picture of the gospel. And if you're in Christ, it's your story. It's my story. Think about the story we just heard. And now think about what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2. This is part of our assurance today. And now you... We're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So as we close, if you're a Christian today, We're invited to to consider what Jesus charged this man to do, how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You reflect on that goodness. You celebrate that goodness that we were dead to, that we lived among the dead and the dying, that we were harming ourselves in sin, that we were partnering with powers of darkness until Jesus showed up and freed us and saved us and adopted us and raised us up to new life. And if you don't consider yourself a Christian and you're just exploring Christianity, this is being extended to be your story. Do not be like that town that in fear is is looking at Jesus and saying, please leave. I don't want to handle your disruption. I don't want you to, to mess up what I have going. Let him mess up what you have going because what you have going is, is death because you don't know Jesus. And he wants to to take your life and and actually give you abundant life is what he promises. Life that was meant to be lived. Not life that's easy, but life that's rich in meaning and truth. Life where the spirit of God actually dwells in you because your sins have been forgiven and you've been adopted as a daughter and a son. Purpose in his presence. So come to him today and, and bow, receive him as the king that he is, your creator, your Lord, your big brother, your savior. Let's stand and pray. Father, we thank you again for this story and we pray that each one of us would have the faith and the grace to respond by the power of the spirit, how you're calling each of us to respond. That we would see Jesus clearly in this moment. And that wherever we find ourselves this morning and wherever we've been, that we would all together run and worship Jesus. We pray this, Jesus, in your name.
And God's people together said, Amen.